Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hi, guys, and welcome back to Work in Progress, our personal productivity podcast. I'm your host, Joanna, and today I'll be joined by Chris Burrows to talk about the impact of antioxidants on our sleep and how this can improve our productivity. Chris has been the owner of My Vital C, the world's first nano-antioxidant, and in his work, Chris took a Nobel Prize-winning chemical that was proven to almost double the lifespan of mammals and decided to turn this into a household item to help people live longer, healthier, and pain-free lives. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Joanna, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this show. I'm glad you are. I'm excited too. It should be a great show. Um, Before we get started, would you like to introduce yourself a bit more with a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. So really kind of the reason that probably my team reached out to you and said, hey, I might be a good guest is I've been manufacturing a molecule since 1991. Uh, I'm going to hold that molecule up here. If you're just listening, don't worry. Uh, Imagine a soccer ball. You in Australia probably call it a football. I know. Uh, And imagine that the lines on the soccer ball represent the bonds between the carbon atoms. So you have a spherical molecule of 60 carbon atoms. This is actually the first closed cage molecule ever discovered. It was discovered in 1985. uh, And the scientists who discovered it published a paper in Nature and won the Nobel Prize in 1996. So a short 11 years from discovery to being awarded the Nobel Prize. They were awarded the Nobel Prize because this molecule is amazing. It performs as well or better than the current best material in almost every application. So it makes better inks, better tires, better batteries, and better photocells. And you're wondering why I'm here talking about antioxidants that we might consume (laughs) because we just said batteries, tires, photocells. It actually gets worse. They thought this molecule, this closed cage soccer ball shaped molecule would be toxic. So they put it in a toxicity study. Instead of being toxic, the test subjects that they gave the molecule to uh, lived 90% longer than the control group. So that's the single longest longevity experimental result in history. And really that was the study that changed my trajectory from being a happy-go-lucky carbon nanomaterial scientist Yes, there is one. I'm one uh, into becoming a supplement guy, a guy who runs around and shares with audiences like yours this amazing research, uh, some testimonials uh, and and really the, the, the background of this molecule so people can become aware of it. And and that's why I'm here. And, and I'm happy, happy that you have me here. No, that's great. Thank you so much for being here as well. Um, now, we're dealing with some pretty sciencey terms. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm horrible when it comes to science. But let's just unpack some of the things you talked about. So can you explain to us what nano antioxidants are? Yeah. So um, really anything that nano, the, the definition of nano really, really means nanoscale. So really at the atomic scale. 
if you think about this soccer ball shaped molecule, it literally only has 60 atoms in it. Most of the molecules that we would have uh, that we're used to would have significantly more than 60. If you think about one cell in our body, it's going to have trillions of, of atoms in it, right? So we're really talking about uh, an atomic scale, a nanoscale. And then when you talk about antioxidants, well, we're familiar with vitamin C. What they tend to do, in, at least physically in our bodies, is run around and grab what are called free radicals. Uh, we know that free radicals can do damage to us, and these antioxidants are the things that kind of grab those free radicals and prevent them from doing damage in our, in our bodies. Uh, from the early days of this molecule, we call it ESS60, um, it was known that it could hold six negatively charged particles on the exterior of the cage. That makes it, uh, actually, potentially, there'll be uh, batteries made with this material. This is kind of commonly known as a buckyball. I'm just excited about the prospect of having a Bucky battery. That would be really cool. Um, but it holds six electrons, and that's kind of what a, an antioxidant does. So this is a nano antioxidant. Okay, amazing. I have never heard of a buckyball. Um, what is that? Like totally left field of what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so, so again, think about it. It literally is this molecule, this soccer ball, football-shaped molecule, right? where the, the, the lines on the ball represent the bonds between the carbon atoms. So each of the indices is the location of a carbon atom, and the lines on the ball represent the bonds between those atoms. And this is kind of commonly called, commonly scientifically, right? I understand that you might not have heard of it, uh, but it's commonly <laughs> called a buckyball, or more, maybe more like it's a, a term of affection, because it's actually carbon 60, because it's 60 carbon atoms in one molecule. Um, and then the, the whole, prior to the discovery of this molecule, there were two forms of carbon, and we're familiar with diamond and graphite. And then these three amazing scientists, they discover this third form of carbon, and there's actually a whole collection of molecules called fullerenes. And they're called fullerenes because they named them after a guy named Buckminster Fuller. He created, uh, well, he brought to prominence the geodesic dome. The geodesic dome, not surprisingly, looks exactly like a soccer ball. Uh, and so Buckminster Fuller, Bucky Ball, a play on the fact that it looks like a ball and it was named after Buckminster Fuller. So Bucky Ball is kind of the common phrase for that. Wow, that's actually very interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and can you tell us about what made you want to get into this type of research? Yeah, so I, 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 I mentioned before we started that uh, last night I recorded the audio version of my book, the first chapter of the audio version. And so uh, in that book, I kind of outline all of this and how I ended up in this particular position. Um, basically, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Uh, when I was in college, I met my now business partner. We've been business partners for 32 years. And I met him in physics class. And he had the opportunity to start manufacturing this molecule and brought me on to help him build the equipment to manufacture this molecule. Uh, and so that started, really, we delivered our first commercial quantities of carbon nanomaterials in 1991 because of that friendship that's turned into a 32-year partnership. Wow, that sounds really amazing. Um, 
Perfect. So I think we're just going to jump into some questions that we have for you today just to get to know you a bit better. Um, So how the section works is um, I'll just say a couple topics and all you have to do is share the first thing that comes to mind um, when you hear these words. So my first one for you is books. So I'm going to, I've got to give an explanation, but the book is Lifespan. So so as I have kind of dug into the research where these these test subjects, in this case, Wistar rats, live 90% longer, that's the single longest longevity experimental result. It really kind of falls upon me as a chief scientist. So like, okay, well, what what is that? Like, what does that mean? What's driving it? Is that a big deal? By the way, it is a huge deal. The next <laughs> best way to live longer is 30%. Uh, it gives you a 30% extension of life it, and, and it's actually called calorie restriction. So it's well documented that if you reduce your calories by 30% in multiple animal models, you can extend your life by 30%. I call that the starve yourself one third to death diet. I, I don't know why anyone <laughs> wants to sign up for that. Nobody signs up for that. They need some marketing, uh, marketing uh, help. Um, so right, so 30% extension of life versus ours, where you're that one, you're starving yourself, ours, you're you're taking a product, uh, really, it tastes like olive oil. And and it's reported in a particular study, a 90% extension of life. So I found this book lifespan, and the, the the tagline of the of the book is why we age and why we don't have to written by Dr. David Sinclair. He's a it basically outlines 25 years of research from this Harvard scientist, Dr. David Sinclair. He's actually uh, in the medical center. He's not a medical doctor, but he's a, a medical researcher and really talks about how it's very possible that we're going to get to the point where we no longer will die of natural causes. And so that's kind of inspired me to to get more involved in in understanding the literature. And that was the first book that kind of sent me down that path. Lifespan, I highly recommend it. Wow. Um, what makes him think that we won't die from natural causes at some point in time? Yeah. So, uh, well, you look at the, the, the progress that, that they're making. He's already uh, with mice, I believe it's mice, not rats, in his lab, able to manip- manipulate genes and have rats that were old, literally old, decrepit and gray, and then wake up the next day and be young and actually break their, uh, they have a distance measuring device when they're running on their treadmill. And they actually break the treadmill because they go beyond what the scientists thought they would actually be able to run. And that same process, they're actually able to take a young mice and reverse it and make it an old, gray, decrepit mouse. So, So we're already pulling these switches. If you think about it, we could take one skin cell from you, Joanna, and we could actually turn that into a clone. I don't, I'm sure somebody on the planet has done this. I haven't read about it. I mean, maybe not with you and maybe you know about it. I don't know, <laughs> but that's possible, right? Like we understand that, you know, we're cloning other animals now. So we understand that that's possible. The key point is in every cell in your body is the, is the knowledge of a younger Joanna, right? That, that exists in you. So like, what is it, what is it that we have to figure out in order to make you younger, I mean, you're young enough, like you don't have to worry about like to make me <laughs> not younger. I'm 54 years old. I would like to be younger. Uh, and if as we start learning to pull the right levers, believe me, I'm going to be wanting to pull those levers. Wow. Um, I actually didn't know that they were cloning animals. Is that, that right? Yeah, They're so cloning animals? The first and big one, this is probably back in the 80s. That may not, may not be the right year. It's called Dolly. Um, and it was a sheep 
And yeah, they are they are definitely. I think there's a special on Netflix that talks about uh, cloning, and there was um, well, there's gene manipulation and then cloning. I think that kind of interspersed the two, but yes, cloning is absolutely happening. Wow, do you think they'd be able to clone humans eventually? I think they I think they could do it now. Like I, wow. I, I don't even think that's a huge stretch. Now, what is that? That becomes a really incredibly interesting thought experiment. Like, what do you do? Like, what is, you know, younger Joanna like? Because she's not going to be like you. She's going to have different experiences on every day. So uh, it's a that be, that's a whole rabbit hole of, you know, I don't know, metaphysical <laughs> consultation or, or, or debate. Really, I think that kind of debate needs a beer. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds like something from like a movie, like even the thought that, the, that we could be cloned. Like I never thought that that was even like on the cusp of becoming a thing. So that's so it interesting. It is a thing. Yep. Wow. You can Mind go back blown. to Dolly. Dolly was cloned. <laughs> I am going to do some research on Dolly. That sounds super interesting. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. My next one for you is movies. Uh, so my favorite movie is The Sound of Music. Oh. And I may be like the only person who thinks that the sound of music is, but it's, it's, it's amazing. And I was surprised at how young I have, I have 13 year old twins now, how young they got into it. They, they really, they couldn't sit through the whole movie, right? It's a very long movie. Um, but, but different sections of the movie, they, they would probably, in fact, I could probably turn it on and they would still love it. So, so I've, uh, I've corrupted them as well. <laughs> no, I feel like that's such a wholesome movie. I have never watched it, unfortunately. I feel like I haven't watched a lot of the most iconic movies. Like, I haven't watched The Sound of Music. I've never watched um, The Matrix. Um, <gasps> I've never watched Star that's Wars. That's why you don't know about cloning. I know. I really need to get into, like, the science in movies and, like, just put my prejudice aside for science stuff. No, <laughs> it's no, no. horrible. Just watch The Sound of Music and then you'll be good. Then you'll be caught up. Okay, I'll I'll add that one to my extend extensive list of movies to watch. Um, beautiful. My next one for you is podcasts. I know that you also had your own podcast. Yeah, I am. Um, well, I, I did, and, and I've kind of stepped down from that. I would say one of the podcasts that actually really got me into podcasts. So I'll lean on this one is um, uh, Radio Lab. It's out of New York and uh, it's out of the, 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 the PBS out of New York. And interesting, uh, the, the guy who is the founder of it, he's actually no longer with them, uh, Jabba Boomrad. Uh, I actually got to stay at his house. So uh, I was dating a girl who had a twin that he was dating. And so we went to New York and they're like, oh, he's got a radio show on you know PBS. Well, I don't know if you guys have a PBS equivalent over there. Maybe BBC is, is kind of relevant, right? But there's a there's a PBS in Houston and no one listens to it. Right. So in my head, I was like, oh, he's got a little radio show that no one listens to. And then I got like actually years later, I realized how big it was because people do listen to the PBS station in New York. So Radio Lab, they do a lot of really cool stuff. And, and that's opened my doors. I listen to a, a whole lot of uh, podcasts now. Awesome. And how have podcasts been like influential for you? Yeah, well, um, let me see how they, 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 sir, they really provide information for me. So I, again, as my role has kind of shifted in this organization where we're happy go lucky carbon nanomaterial scientists, and now shifting into the role of, of, you know, being a well, a learned person in supplements and in longevity, 
podcasts have been a great resource for that. Not not that particular one, but other podcasts have been a great resource for that. Yeah, awesome. Uh, my next one for you is a famous role model. It doesn't have to be famous, could just be anyone in your life even. Yeah. Um, so, man, I could go a couple different directions with this. I'm going to say there's one guy that, that uh, I, I truly appreciate the impact that he's having uh, it's a Dr. Gundry. He actually has a podcast. I listened to that podcast uh, also, and I, I was actually on his podcast. Um, so Dr. Gundry is a former pediatric thoracic heart surgeon who kind of recognized that the medical establishment really wasn't doing the right thing by his patients. And so shifted his focus onto proper nutrition and really assessing and addressing the nutrition that his, his clients were consuming. Um, and and is now has you know supplements and books. He had a PBS special. Like he's done some amazing stuff and is is doing like a, a amazing things for uh, for a large a broad swath of people. So I think we can jump into our interview questions now. So my first question for you is: What is important about the work that you do? Oh, that's that's a great question. Um, I think the most important thing that I'm doing right now is really digging deep into what, what opportunities there are for longevity. What are the, what are the, the supplements? Uh, what are the, 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 the treatments that are actually impacting longevity? And also to get the word out that the medical community needs to think about, currently it thinks about aging as just an inevitable thing and not a disease. And that creates a problem here in the United States, right? So there's a, a number of key diseases that are driven by aging, right? So arthritis is certainly one, um, Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, heart disease, cancer. Those are, are those, each one of those kind of key core diseases is, is implicated with, with aging, right? The older you get, the more you run the risk of having those. And right now, in the, at least in the United States, I would assume it's very similar in, in, in Australia, right now, you get research dollars for individual things. So you get research dollars earmarked for Alzheimer's or dementia or, uh, you know, or cancer. And really, if you could start looking and addressing aging, that, that aging is the issue and that there are ways that we can address aging, then those same dollars could go to aging and that could have a, a trickle-down effect that's, that's amazing. Like that really is impactful. Because right now, if we get lucky enough to solve cancer, well, then that just means you're going to get dementia, right? Or that means you're going to get heart disease. Like that's typically how, how the current system works. Whereas if we're dealing with aging, then you're going to have a positive impact on, on all of those. And I think that's really important to get out there. Yeah, for sure. So it's not just about living longer, but kind of helping those side effects that come along with aging. Yeah. And, and you kind of bring up a good point, right? So I'll share this original research, right? It's peer-reviewed published research. Uh, it was published in, in mid-2012. These test subjects, in, in this case, it was Wistar rats, lived 90% longer. And I get some interesting responses. The, the first one is from New Yorkers who are like, why would we want rats to live longer? You really need to bury this report and just like make it disappear. We don't want them living longer. Um, and, <laughs> and then the next is, Okay, well, why would I want to live longer, right? Like, 
there's a lot of people uh, that that really and at first I struggled with this because in my mind I've already made the decision I do want to live longer right and so when I'm c confronted with somebody who's like why would I want to live longer uh, it just took me a while to really kind of reconcile what they're really hearing is how long would you like to live in an infirmed state right because we can't separate right now in our minds that aging means living infirmed right and so if you change the question and you're like Joanna if you had the same mental capacity, you're too young, right? But if you had the same mental capacity <laughs> that you had today, have today, and the same physical capacity that you have today, would you then be interested in living longer? And then not everyone changes. They need to kind of evaluate their life. But most people at that point have this quantum shift of understanding that, okay, yeah, I certainly would like to live longer if I have this same capacity, mental and physical capacity. And, and so that's part of this kind of transition, this, this change as it relates to longevity. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, left field question, but like, why are rats the perfect test subjects? Like, why do we always hear about rats or like mice? Yeah, so um, there are similarities. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change this into a question that I, that I still really have, right? And, and as I'm learning about this rat study, the next thing you go, well, okay, well, what, what happens in a rat? Like what percentage of things that happen in a rat actually happen in a human? Like we know there's some number, like, you know, is it, is it 80% of the things that do happen in rats do happen in humans? Or what is that number? And, I, and I've asked a, a number of people, and the kind of, this is a long-winded, so excuse me, but, but <laughs> my business partner one day was talking to a, a Dr. Kudabek out of DePaul University. And I, I, my business partner and I, we share a wall, right? And I could hear the conversation. And, and Dr. Kudabak is, a, is a, a professor who takes rat studies into human studies, right? So there's this transition. And so I went over there and I seized the opportunity. I'm like, all right, Dr. Kudabak, what is the percentage of like, what is this percentage of, of things that happen or don't happen in a rat that happen or don't happen in a human? And he told this story. So he said, listen, there's a lot of people who will say, that 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 not much right that maybe not much that happens in a rat happens in a human and they'll usually use this study and the study goes like this they had a a morning sickness drug and they gave it to rats and they monitored to the rats and the rats had less morning sickness and there were no problems with the rats so they started a human trial unfortunately when they started the human trial they noticed an increased incidence of of deformed fetuses right and so like he said this is what dr kudabek said that's what some scientists will hold up to say see what happens in a rat it's not necessarily true in a human and then dr kudabek went on to say the problem was they never looked at the fetuses of the rats and in fact in hindsight going back and looking at the actual data at the at the actual fetuses of the rats they were also inclined to this deformity. And had they paid attention to the right information, they actually wouldn't have taken this to a human trial. And that's what somebody in a much greater position offered as kind of, because he's not going to say 80% or 89%. He's, he's just going to say, a lot of people say that what happens in a rat doesn't happen in human. And I think the summary of that is a lot of people are wrong. Yeah, and there would be like a lot of ethical considerations surrounding this, right? Yes. So another thing to think about, right? A typical a typical Wistar rat lives 32 months. So this is this is interesting. Typical Wistar rat lives 32 months and has a known amount of tumors in their body. That's just how they are. The longer they live, the more tumors they have in their body. 
even though the rats given our formula lived out to 62 months, none of them had any tumors in their body, right? So that's 62 months, that's five plus years, right? If you think about a human, if the average human lives 90% longer, and I'm not even saying that's what's going to happen. I'm very hopeful. Um, but then we're talking about the average human living to 152. Wow. That study, that study will never get, and that's, by the way, that's the average human, right? That's not the oldest human, right? Because right now the oldest human is, I don't know, 125 or something. That's the average human. There will be humans much older than that. You're, we're just never going to run that study uh, if we go in that direction, if that seems what this, this formula is doing then we're just gonna notice that the people who are taking the formula are living longer and then we'll, we'll start collecting statistical data on that. But no one's ever gonna sit down, especially if it works, right? And say, all right, you, Joanna, do not get the product. <laughs> and, and you, Chris, do get the product and we'll see what happens. Like that's, that's also not an ethical study. Yeah, wow, there's, there's so much to consider when like moving forward with this kind of stuff, isn't there? Yes. Um, beautiful. So getting back on track, cause I totally took that somewhere else. Um, uh, why are antioxidants essential for our health? So, um, I'm going to break this down into antioxidant in, 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 into kind of some core fundamentals of, of biology. And then I want to start tying, cause I know we originally talked about talking about sleep. We, we, we might want to mention it, um, before we wrap up. Um, yeah. so, so if, Let's start with mitochondria, right? So, so you may remember that mitochondria is the powerhouse of every cell. It's an organelle in almost every cell in our body. The only cells that don't have uh, mitochondria are, are um, hemoglobin, right? So your blood cells. Every other cell in your body has between 50 and 5,000 mitochondria, and they're responsible basically for taking the food we've eaten right? That's gotten pushed into our blood system because it's been processed in our stomach. It takes that and converts it into ATP, right? Which is the energy source that your cells need to do their job. How do I be a skin cell, uh, a, a, a kidney cell, liver cell, or whatever? Well, just like with most power sources, right? Your car going down the street has, you know, fumes coming out of it, not so good. Your power plant has a smokestack with smoke coming out of it, not so good. Mitochondria have what are called ROSs, reactive oxygen species. And these are things that will, if left uh, to their own devices, I, I kind of describe them as little bumper cars that run around doing damage, oxidizing things that they bump into. And so that's why we need antioxidants. Uh, and, and that's really important for our health. I mean, you have the kind of classic example of scurvy, right? Soldier and uh, uh, sailors who went sailing across the ocean if they didn't have ac access to citrus, and it took them a while to figure this out. You know, kudos to the person who did figure it out. Um, <laughs> didn't have vitamin C, um, then they would get scurvy, and just a couple oranges would fix that because of the vitamin C in it. So, um, so yeah, antioxidants are, are paramount. In fact, antioxidants, when you when you kind of look at the medical community across the board. There's a, a, a lot of thoughts that, that aging is actually an oxidation and an inflammation process, right? So, in fact, inflammation and chronic inflammation, they've even started calling it inflammaging, right? Because it's inflammation causing aging. And, and it's just interesting when you start thinking about these rats that live longer, that this ESS60 molecule check, checks both of those boxes, right? It is this antioxidant. There's an ad hoc study on the web showing it to be 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. 
And then there was a peer-reviewed published paper showing it to be 125 times more powerful than vitamin C. Um, and then in terms of inflammation, here in the United States, we have the FDA, so there's, I've got to be careful about what we say. Uh, but what we can say is that it addresses inflammation related to exercise-induced inflammation. Chronic inflammation, we can't really talk about. We need more research uh, to do that. And, and I'll, I'll go in, uh, one of the antioxidants, key antioxidants in mitochondria is melatonin. That's the sleep hormone. We're all familiar with it. It's actually a great antioxidant. A lot of people don't, didn't, I didn't know that before I started kind of diving uh, into this rabbit hole called longevity and sleep. Um, so melatonin uh, is, 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 a, is the sleep hormone. And then the most consistent testimonial that people give on our product is they take it in the morning, they report mental focus and energy during the day, and then better sleep that night, right? So that's where I started looking at, and we actually did a small study on, okay, what is happening with sleep? Is something happening? And, and what does that look like? And, and I, that's where we ended up on that topic for this podcast, which we have barely gotten to. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, let's get into it a bit more. But um, where can we get these antioxidants from? So antioxidants are, typical antioxidants are just in your food, right? Like if you go back to pre-supplement days, you just ate good and you got your supplements. I mean, you got your antioxidants from them. If you look in terms of your of your mitochondria, right? Your mitochondria actually has resident two antioxidants, melatonin and glutathione. Glutathione's a fairly well-known supplement, so you, you might have he heard of it. But those are two key antioxidants. And what's, what's interesting about this ESS60 molecule is that we know it gets into the mitochondria, right? So we've got peer-reviewed published research showing it in the mitochondria. We know it can hold six electrons on the exterior of it. Those electrons are negatively charged particles. It turns out that reactive oxygen species, these ROSs, these uh, oxidative stressing agents, are negatively charged particles. So the, the current theory, it's a boss theory, and I do think this ties into sleep. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> but the boss theory is buffering oxidative stress system. We, we all know that our bodies can get depleted of different components in different areas of our body at different times. So mitochondria currently in your system are probably some of them are running out of melatonin and glutathione. Those are the things that typically manage the reactive oxygen species. When you have this ESS60 present, instead of those reactive oxygen species getting out of the cell and being a bumper car and, and doing damage, uh, I don't know if you guys, you, I'm pretty sure you have it, a pa they, it acts like a paddy wagon, right? Where this just holds on to those reactive oxygen species, right? The police of the police are the melatonin and glutathione. They're busy taking care of other reactive oxygen species. So you have extras running around. This grabs onto them and holds on to them, to them until that mitochondria can replenish the, the glutathione or melatonin, and then they can go and do their job. Now, all of this comes back to when you think about sleep, what is the purpose of sleep? First, sleep is, there's an amazing, I, I could have also mentioned this book, there's an amazing book called Why We Sleep. It's by Dr. Matthew Walker. Uh, it's 25 years of him, uh, uh, I, I think he's at University of Berkeley now, um, but it was at a previously at another prestigious university, interestingly started studying Alzheimer's and realized that the sleep pattern of Alzheimer's patients was so disrupted that he decided to start studying sleep. So this book, why we sleep, unfortunately, it's not why we sleep and why we don't have to, <laughs> it's why we sleep. And I call it the scariest book that you'll ever read about sleep. 
Do you know who Freddy Krueger is? Because you might not. I've Nightmare on Elm of... Street. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. He's the horror character who scares people out of their sleep, haunts them in their sleep. I call this the Freddy Krueger of sleep books. <laughs> it will make you go to sleep because you read this book and you understand all the negative things that happen to you when you don't get sleep. Then you're like, I got to get my sleep. Like, I don't even know. Like, I'm, I'm not going dancing tonight. I'm not going to have another beer. I'm going to go home and go to sleep because it's really that important. I, I don't know if you know this. Um, every year we do this massive experience. It's a global experiment. It's a global experiment where we where we deprive people of one hour of sleep called daylight savings time, right? <laughs> you know this, but when we lose that one hour of sleep, heart attacks go up 23 to 25%. Wow. And we, when we go the other side of the year and we gain that hour back, heart attacks go down 23 to 25%. Sleep is that important. Like we have this kind of concept that sleep is good for our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And then we're like, yeah, but I'm going to go dancing tonight. Okay, I, I, like, I love dancing. I actually do love that. That's how I met my wife. So I will go dancing. But just know that, that, that you are doing a trade-off. You are doing a physiological trade-off. It's not just, oh, I'm groggy and cranky the next morning. Uh, it's a physiological trade-off uh, for, for your health. So sleep is that important. And one thing that Dr. Walker uh, point that he made in his book, which I think is just really interesting, is the $2 billion sleep aid industry, right? So this is prescription drugs that, that you know, help people, quote unquote, get sleep. Here's what he says about those. They're not sleep aids. They're, they're actually depressants. And they depress you to the point what, 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 what technically happens is we have a chemical called adenosine in our body, and it builds up throughout the day. And as a denizen builds up in our system, we desire sleep. And these sleep aids release the chemical pressure of a denizen in our bodies, right? So imagine 10 days in a row, you woke up and you still wanted sleep because your adenosine content was pretty high in your body. Well, now you wake up and you don't want sleep. That's got to feel very refreshing. The problem is, is because it's a depressant, it actually has prevented you from getting the REM and the in-REM sleep, the healing and restoring sleep that you can get, that you should get while you're sleeping. And, and, and so that ties all the way in, I think, to when your mitochondria have the extra support and there, you've got the presence of the ESS60 molecule, one of the cleaning phases is already done for you when you go to sleep. And so you end up getting deeper and better sleep. Wow, that's super interesting. I feel like when we talk about sleep and this idea of I need to get my eight hours of sleep or like it's really important to me, I feel like we play that off a bit and we're like, oh, we'll just get more sleep the next day. But there's actually like consequences to not getting enough sleep. Very serious consequences, right? And he goes into, you know, how your memory doesn't store as well, um, how your ability to focus is not as good, like two hours short of sleep puts you at like the equivalent of two beers in your system uh, when you're driving. Like it, it, it really is um, the scariest book you'll ever read about sleep. And, you know, if you want to continue not getting sleep, uh, then <laughs> you don't read that book. Uh, and there's this phrase, um, uh, I'll sleep when I dead, when I'm dead, right? The thing is, yeah. is you're going to die sooner because you're not getting sleep. Like that's, that's going to, I don't know if you know this, in the, the Guinness Book of World Records, no longer allows sleep deprivation as a record because wow. you will actually die if you don't sleep. That's crazy. So when we like hear about the importance of a good night's sleep, what role does like antioxidants play in that and promoting better sleep? 
Well, yeah, I think I, I think kind of as I described, it's the role of making sure that your that your that your system is managing the anti the the oxidative elements that you have in your body. So if you've checked that off the list, right? If you it, and and by the way, sleep is not like this. But if you thought of it in terms of hey, there's this checklist of things that I have to do. One of them is to clean up the reactive oxygen species while while I sleep. Um, then that's actually taken care of with with the with the antioxidants. Uh, and so that's 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 really important. Like antioxidants are an incredibly important aspect. Um, I think what's what I can offer in terms of sleep. So like practical things that we can, um, if we want to talk about uh, performance, right, is having a good sleep routine. Really, is it's also called sleep hygiene is really important for getting your sleep. So so going to bed at the exact same time every night, even on weekends, right which gets messed up because you're because you're dancing, uh, but <laughs> going to bed at the exact same time really positively impacts your overall sleep, right? So and then waking up at the same time. So it really is actually good for you, even if you end up staying late because you're dancing, um, wake up at the same time every day, right? You're actually not making up for sleep when when you when you sleep extra. You can't make up sleep. That's the point that Dr. Matthew Walker makes in the book is like, you need to get your seven and eight hours. And the reality is if, if you can sleep late and you do sleep late, but you still can stay on your normal sleep cycle the next night, then you probably need that rest. Uh, but don't, definitely don't. Okay, here's a couple of tips. Naps are amazing. I don't know if you know this. I mean, I like naps. Naps are amazing. Yeah. There is actually a lot of data that shows naps are incredibly good for your performance couple things about naps. Never naps typically should be 15 to 20 minutes, never more than 30. So if you're about to take a nap, don't let yourself sleep over 30 minutes. We've all woken up from a nap and been like super groggy. Like that's because you had too long of a nap. The problem with that is it can interrupt your sleep pattern. So like if your normal sleep time was 10 o'clock, now you push that to 1030 or 11, that actually interrupts your sleep. So make sure your naps are between 15 and, and 20 minutes, uh, no more than 30. Um, these devices, these electronic devices that we all have, also the computers, cell phones, I'm holding it up. I think a, a, lot, of, a lot of you are listening. I'm holding up a cell phone. <laughs> and, and these devices are very problematic. We're very used to like having them in our bed. Well, those devices give off blue light. Blue light convinces our physiology that it's the middle of the day. You can imagine if your body believes it's the middle of the day, that is not conducive to getting a good night's sleep, right? So most of these devices have a night setting or a blue light filter, and you want to have, they're not the best, right? But you want to have that on, and I recommend at least an hour before you go to bed, like in bed, it's best to charge your phone outside of your bedroom. You should, like, if, if you use it as your alarm clock, they have these old devices that all they are is alarm clocks and you can use <laughs> one of those and you should, right? Because having that device next to you is just too enticing uh, and, and you have that blue light going into your eyes, even if you've got the blue light filter, which you should definitely turn on. Yeah, um, I feel like we've often heard a lot about don't go on your phone first thing in the morning or like don't go on your phone as the last thing you do before you go to sleep. Um, I feel like a lot of us don't really take that seriously. Me personally, I'm just like, yeah, whatever, I'll be fine. But like actually hearing about this, maybe I should. Stop yeah, read that. that book. Read that I book. I should I, read that book. Yeah. The most restorative and healing medicine that you can possibly have is sleep. 
Yeah. And you really should be getting seven and a half to nine hours of sleep opportunity every night. And the, the better, like the more consistent that is, the better. Your room should also be cold. That's mm. that's that that can be really important. Cold. Also, um, you know, there, there's a phrase day drinking, right? It's actually for <laughs> your sleep better to day drink than to night drink. And and the reason is alcohol absolutely interrupts your sleep pattern. And so you you know you you're if you're gonna have a drink or two, don't start if you don't drink. There's some lame data about red wine being good. I lean on that heavier than I should. Uh, that data, <laughs> um, but but to to cut to cut your alcohol consumption, uh, you know, an hour and a half to two hours before you go to bed is is also important. Yeah, I feel like we really got to cut down on those nights out dancing for sure. Well, I don't know. That's not. I, I can say for personally, that's like at least that's exercise, right? So we're getting some more exercise. Go. It's fun. You, you know, there's a lot of uh, research on social connections are actually really good for longevity. So, you know, you, you, you have trade-offs, you have trade-offs, just, you know, make sure they're good and worth it, right? Like if you understand what you're sacrificing, that can help you make better decisions about, is this worth that sacrifice? Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel like I need to read that book and scare myself into some more sleep. So I will be doing that. Um, Beautiful. So my next question for you is, how is taking antioxidants connected to improving our productivity? Well, I think this goes back into, and and if we think about the ESS60 molecule, it really is about the higher function of your mitochondria, right? So if you're getting better mental, physical, and emotional well-being, one, from the sleep, right? And two, because your mitochondria, the powerhouse of every cell is performing better, then yeah, these antioxidants are having that positive impact. Like uh, definitely, you know, you should have a diverse array of foods that you eat. So for, for a diverse collection of antioxidants because they're good for you. Yeah. And I think there might be some sort of skepticism or misconceptions surrounding like taking antioxidants. Are there any you can share with us that are true or aren't true? Yeah. So um, one of them is like there are there are people who have and even a Nobel laureate at one point was professing that that massive consumption of vitamin C would actually which is a, is a great antioxidant um, would actually kind of be a cure for everything. Um, it turns out like that that doesn't seem to be true. Um, it isn't it isn't a cure all. Uh, you just need to make sure that you're getting enough antioxidants for uh, for your health. Yeah, for sure. And back to the productivity side of things, are there any other aspects of our life that you know taking antioxidants can help improve? Well, I think there's some research that suggests, uh, it can help with like exercise recovery, um, that it can help with mental focus. This is a, this is often about the types of antioxidants that you're taking. Um, certainly like in our particular case with the, the ASS 60 molecule, um, people report mental focus and energy during the day and then better sleep that, that night. So, so a quality antioxidant regime is, is really important for just overall health. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And what are some practical ways that people can help increase their antioxidant intake? Yeah. So if you look at fruits and vegetables that are dark in color, right? So if you look like an iceberg lettuce, that's kind of a a faded color. Um, If you look at blueberries, that's nice and dark. Those those darker foods are the ones that are going to have going to be 
more rich in antioxidants. So those are the kind of foods that you could incorporate into your into your diet. Okay, amazing. And will people be able to see like a correlation between, you know, taking these more antioxidant rich foods and their sleep improving as well? Well, I think um, I am not aware of any antioxidant consumption in general that has reports of better sleep, right? Um, really, the only one I'm aware of is the is the molecule dissolved in olive oil. Um, but but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if you got really down into if you're collecting uh, connecting electrodes to people's uh, brains to actually monitor their sleep and track that with antioxidants um, that there's some improvement. Um, but I'm not aware of any data that suggests that, and uh, and there's really kind of no incentive for kind of whatever big pharma, right, the, the, the big pharmaceutical machine to do it because they don't make money off of off of like those types of antioxidants. So we might not even see those types of studies. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, would you mind telling us a bit about like My Vital C and how your product might help, you know, the topic of what we're talking about today? Yeah. So um, I can just share, uh, I'll just share, because uh, uh, we're here in the States, I'm going to offer up that the FDA has not evaluated our product. It is not intended to treat, diagnose, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, I'm just going to offer, I have to embarrassingly admit that I used to take two naps before noon every Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> and the way that worked, I have twins. Uh, when they were younger, I would wake up, I would go down, I would lay on the couch, and actually, my twins would sit on top of me and, and we, we would watch cartoons, which really meant I took my first nap. By the way, a friend of mine told me that that was brilliant parenting because there's no way the kids could get up and cause a ruckus without waking me up. So it was, uh, it was really strategic babysitting. Um, so, so that was the first nap. Then, then we'd go down, we'd have breakfast, we would resume the position after breakfast, and I would take my second nap. And this was literally every Saturday and Sunday for an extended period of time. When I started taking the product on a regular basis, I actually, obviously the 13 now, that doesn't happen like I couldn't breathe if they sat on me. Um, but, <laughs> but at the time, right, I started taking the product on a regular basis. I'm, again, assuming the position, they're sitting on top of me, I'm not falling asleep. So I actually just end up, get up getting up and doing something. And I still have a nap from time to time. It's probably more like once or twice a month. Um, but uh, certainly not twice a day on Saturdays or Sundays. Yeah, awesome. And are you taking your own product? Is yes. So my yeah. regime is I take our olive oil product. Excuse me, this is our MCT product. So we have the, the molecule in MCT. I put that in my coffee. Uh, there's a recipe called Bulletproof Coffee. So I'm kind of mimicking that except with our MCT. Uh, and then I'll take some of our olive oil product. That's while my coffee is mixing. And then for lunch, I usually have a little bit of our avocado product uh, on my salad. Amazing. I think this leads perfectly into our next section, which is our practices debrief. So I'm basically just going to ask you about what you do every day to sort of, um, you know, improve your sleep and achieve more productivity. So is this like your main practice, you would say? This is, this is certainly a, a staple of my practice. There's probably two other things that I think are pivotal. I get exercise five to six days a week. Um, I, it's just for, well, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, it's for 20 minutes. And then Wednesday and Friday, it, it often is, uh, is about 45 minutes. And then Saturdays is variable based on me dropping the kids off at music class. They, they drive my naps and my health. Um, 
former naps. So uh, so that's one. And then I do intermittent fasting. I don't know if you're familiar with intermittent fasting. Yeah. It's really just compressing the meals that you meet, eat. Oh, by the way, David Sinclair is an Australian. So you, you, Dr. David Sinclair, the one who wrote Lifespan, is an Australian. So you, you've got to you got to look him up and, and, oh, wow. and follow him. He's pretty amazing. He's a Harvard University professor, but he's an he's an Aussie. Um, awesome. And so intermittent fasting is like co collapsing the window where you do eat. And so I do that absolutely through Monday through Monday through Friday, and then some Saturdays and and Sundays, depending on you know what the schedule is. Yeah, for sure. And have you felt that this has helped improve your productivity? Uh, well, absolutely. Right. So, so that I actually meditate also um, Monday through Friday. Um, really clears my mind and allows me to stay focused. Uh, there is really good data that as you're exercising, your muscles are secreting um, chemicals that actually uh, uh, enhance your brain function. Yeah, awesome. And have you noticed any changes since taking your own product to your productivity or your sleep patterns? Um, really, when when I first started taking this fairly regularly, which was back in 2018, I could get to like two or three o'clock in the afternoon sometimes, and I'd be yawning or craving a cup of coffee or a nap. And I could always look back and I had not taken my product that morning which is why, so that that goes directly, in my opinion, to, to productivity, which is why I made it part of my uh, coffee routine. Yeah, for sure. And do you seek out like antioxidants beyond just your product? Um, I'll, I've Lately, I've been taking, uh, really, I'm not a good water drinker. I don't like plain water, but I end up like not drinking and then I'll grab a bottle or a glass of water and then just down it because my body's like, you really should have been drinking this for a long time. I don't know why you've been waiting. So <laughs> like, gug, 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 check it down. Yeah. So I've been adding a emergency, right? Like that's a vitamin, fizzy vitamin C thing. And so I'll add that to my drink. But that's, I'm not really looking to the vitamin C. I'm looking for some sort of flavoring that's healthy that I can consume. Uh, so that is something that I that I take that's an, that's an antioxidant. Yeah, amazing. And do you find that there are any challenges to the practices that you have in your life? Um, yeah, I think, you know, time is important. I allocate a lot of time for that, you know, exercising, meditating, really just having a pretty chill morning. Uh, I would like to say that I read an article about Jeff Bezos and how he chills in the morning. And so I'm modeling myself after him. I just kind of started doing this before I read that article. That's actually true. He doesn't take meetings until like 10 a.m. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that can be a challenge, right? If you're building a business or getting through college, you it might be hard to find the time uh, to do this and you know to do some of those habits. But you know, I, I absolutely think they're worth it. Yeah, awesome. And do you recommend that people you know adopt the same practice or like find what works for them? Um, I think you need to find what works for you, but I think you need to push your envelope for an extended period of time. So you really need to try things probably 45 to 60 days and then mm -hmm. assess what impact, if any, is having on you. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that with us and how you approach this in your own life. I'd love to jump into our questions from the audience now. So my first one is, are there any potential risks or side effects of consuming too many antioxidants? Um, yeah, I think in terms of, uh, uh, I'm not aware. I know. So it was Dr. Linus Pauling. He's a two-time Nobel laureate. 
and he was very keen on on vitamin C and actually had his grad grad students like apologize to them, I think, in one of his speeches later uh, for how much vitamin C he made them take. And it's water soluble. So it was just coming out in their urine. So they're drinking lots of water to flush it out. Um, and it was it was massive, massive. It was tens of grams of vitamin C. So in terms of vitamin C, I don't think so. I'm not aware of you start getting to, so vitamin D is an antioxidant, a little bit more oil-based. I, th I think there's some uh, upper limit. I think uh, vitamin A, there, there's certainly some vitamins that you want to be careful of because you, uh, you can get too much of them. Yeah, for sure. So it's about just maintaining a balance with the supplements yes. you're having. Awesome. Um, my next one for you is, are there any differences between natural and supplemental sources of antioxidants in terms of their effectiveness? Yeah, I think... Um, I think you do have to be careful. I think in the range, in, in the realm, I, I think it's significantly more important if you start talking about synthetic hormones be, be, as compared to like natural hormones. Um, but when you start looking at the, at the vitamins, you're really looking at the pretty much the, well, if it's the exact same chemical structure, then it's, it's, there's no difference between natural and, and, and synthetic. The challenge you can run into is like in organic chemistry, the fact that some um, some component, some arm of the actual molecule comes off to the right versus the left can mean that it interacts differently with your body. And so if you do have some concerns about that, then then dig into it. I'm not aware of anything in in the realm of antioxidants that that ha runs that risk. Great. And how can someone know if like their productivity challenges are related to a lack of antioxidants or is this even a thing? Well, I think um, I think if you're if you're struggling with productivity, uh, the first first thing that it's going to be is sleep, right? Getting good, consistent sleep. Um, and so that would be my primary focus. I don't think that there's anything, you know, unless you're you're you, you know, doing calorie restriction, you know, starving yourself one third to death because you want to live a third longer. Uh, I'm not sure like you would be aware of that as the problem. I don't think that there's anything that's going to signify to you is like, oh, I need to get more antioxidants. In general, if you eat reasonably healthy, you're getting enough of the antioxidants that you need uh, regularly. And certainly a supplement to support that will, will knock it out of the park. Beautiful. Um, and I think we can round off with our open mic section today. So the floor is yours to talk about anything that you would like to talk about. You know, I, I actually had the opportunity to speak on it earlier, which is is to really kind of help people become aware that that aging is something that can have a have a solution. In fact, there's a concept called the um, terminal velocity of aging. So we know we have this concept that the medical community is is incrementally increasing our age, right? So we certainly have extended from um, from from early times where you know average age, you know, people getting into their forties was kind of unheard of. So now where the average human is about eighty, right, in terms of how long the average human lives, and and so we know that the medical community is pushing us slowly in the right direction into living longer. And you can imagine like if a, a time occurs, and I believe this will happen, that for every day that passes, the medical community is able to extend our life by a day and one second, then we've actually gotten onto the other side of the, of the, of the uh, terminal velocity of aging, right? And that's the point that 
where where we really get to the realize that we can potentially no one would die of 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 natural causes and so i would say um one it's important to understand like aging we need to think of it in terms of of a disease that we can actually put dollars at and solve and then the other one is i believe at some point there will be one person who is the last person to die of natural causes and that would suck to be that person <laughs> and so <laughs> and so like do your research and understand what it is that has the potential to extend your life right eat good it would be be um conservative with alcohol good nutrition good exercise good sleep um because you want to be on the other side of that finish line you don't want to be on the wrong side of that finish line yeah for sure and do you think that you know, people can develop a bit of a dangerous mindset around, you know, obsessing over this idea of beating aging? Um, well, there certainly is a guy out there, I think, who's spending $2 million a year to reverse it, to try and reverse his aging. Um, <laughs> if, if what you just described is possible, that's already there. Um, I don't, I don't, I think most of the protocols that might have a positive impact don't don't need to cost anywhere near two million and you have people like me i'm investing in these kinds of things there's a guy by the name of dave asprey a very famous he's the one who actually created bulletproof coffee um and and the phrase biohacking they are spending a lot of money to investigate and understand often on themselves what these protocols can do uh from an aging perspective and so i don't think you need to do it i think you need to just kind of do some research and understand what are the basics uh, but yeah, you know, is, is there anything in the world you can't get too obsessive about? Yeah. Very good point. <laughs> Very good point. I feel like a lot of people though have started becoming so obsessed with this idea of staying younger and like the idea of getting older is just so scary and daunting that they will do genuinely anything to stop that from happening. <laughs> yeah. I think you need, I think you need to be careful. Um, it, it, the worst thing that could happen is you ruminating about it and not getting enough sleep because sleep's yeah. actually good for your longevity. Yeah. Well, beautiful. I think that's the perfect note to leave today on. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Um, and for those who want to find out more about you, where can they go? Yeah. They, so my website is myvitalc, C as in carbon. So myvitalc.com. Um, and then they can connect with me on Instagram, um, or whatever else. I'm, I'm actually on TikTok. I've got shorts going out there. Uh, my marketing team is, is, has me doing all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so if you just search for my vital C, you'll find it. If you're interested, um, you know, some people, sometimes people walk away from listening to a show like this and they're like, Oh, I've got some questions. My staff is incredibly well-trained, uh, can answer like 98% of any questions you might have. So feel free to call us from the website. And then um, if you're actually keen on having a conversation with me, you can usually cajole them and they'll like, you know, pass through, pass you through to me or get you on my schedule. Um, I, I absolutely like just like this conversation. I absolutely enjoy talking with people and, and, and sharing the research that's out there. Beautiful. Well, it's been my pleasure chatting with you today. I feel like we did go down a bit of a rabbit hole, but we got back to the main topic in the, um, at the end. So thank you so much for that. It was the best of rabbit holes. <laughs> Thank you it so was. much. It was. It really was. Thank you. Um, so we also have Chris's details in the description below. But thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. 
Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pp.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.